The only thing that flat earthers have to fear is sphere itself. <laughs> oh man, terrible puns. Okay. All right. Friends, today we're on the podcast, we're going to be talking about flat earth theory, the flat earth movement, and why the earth really is spherical with Dr. Robert Carter. Welcome to the Youth Apologetics Training Podcast. Alright guys, welcome back. Sorry about the bad pun starting off the podcast. Just right before I recorded this intro, uh, I had a couple spare moments and I checked in the Facebook, which is something I really don't do very often, but I thought I would. And one of my friends, Daniel, Daniel, seriously, that is hilarious. He posted this meme that, uh, you know, the, the, the only thing that we have to fear is fear itself. That was modified, and it had a picture of the globe, had a picture of the Earth from space, and it says the only thing we have to fear, or I'm sorry, the only thing that flat earthers have to fear is sphere (laughs) itself. Sorry about that. Oh, I'm a nerd, but I really thought that was funny. Anyway, yeah, today we're going to continue on with... This uh, uh, podcast, this interview that I had with Dr. Robert Carter, uh, and we're going to be discussing uh, many more reasons why we can know that the Earth really is spherical. Guys, I know I've mentioned this before, and I want to mention it again. Uh, Especially, I've got a lot of uh, flat earthers, I'm sure, that are listening to this podcast, and uh, well, as well as uh, some Christians that are not flat earthers. But I I just want to address the whole conspiracy thing. Let's be real. There are lots of conspiracies out there, okay? And really, by definition, what? A a conspiracy is uh, two or more people coming together in secret and having some type of secret uh, um, plot together, I guess. (laughs) I probably should have looked that up before trying to define it, right? But uh, there's a lot of people that are getting together out there secretly and doing stuff behind the scenes, okay? And it doesn't have to be Illuminati or any of this crazy stuff that, I mean, it can go pretty far. Um, Lots of things are happening in secret. Lots of uh, uh, conspiracies are taking place, all right? That's, you know, my beef is not with that. My beef is with um, people that will see something that's odd and will conclude something completely off the map by seeing something odd. For example, you see some odd NASA videos and it's like, look, that looks fake. It doesn't look right. It looks like uh, there's something really fishy going on with that particular picture or video. And some of them do look a little fishy, but then to immediately conclude from that, the earth is flat. Or to use that as some kind of proof that the earth is flat, that's nonsense. I mean, it just is. You can't conclude that. There is uh, many other explanations for something looking odd. Okay, I just, uh, 
very recently saw some other things that were posted on Facebook, um, one of which was a video showing a bunch of people uh, outside. It was a very poor video, very granulated, looked terrible, okay? But the camera was pointed towards the sun, okay? And then the, the camera was strobing between light, dark, light, dark, light, dark, light, dark. And so the people in this Facebook group that I'm a part of called Flat Earthers in Christ, they're like, look at that. Look at that. The sun broke. <laughs> Somebody actually said the man-made sun broke. Okay, they don't represent the flat earth movement as a whole. I would imagine most flat earthers would roll their eyes to a comment like that. But <clears throat> be that as it may, they were freaking out because they're like, look, see, the sun isn't what we thought. The sun is actually strobing. There's something wrong with the sun. All right. All right. So I install and sell surveillance cameras for a living. And I even left a comment to this effect. I was polite, but it's like, look, I sell cameras for a living. When a camera is a little old and it's got a bad auto iris um, and it's, it's starting to have backlight issues, there are times when you can aim a camera at a light source or just something where the light is kind of in between light and dark, say, maybe an eclipse <laughs> or something like that. You know, as, as the sun is going down and all of a sudden the camera for about two or three minutes, it, it's right at that threshold where the camera's like, do I need to compensate for black backlight or not? Do I need to go into night mode or not? And the camera will start going light, dark, light, dark, light, dark. And it'll be in a, kind of a, a little bit of a, a rhythm as you're watching it going from light to dark, light to dark, back and forth, back and forth. And that's exactly what's going on in this picture. Uh, I even left that comment, you know, hey, look, this is what's happening. Cameras do this kind of stuff all the time. In fact, I've even seen my wife's iPhone do that. And I would imagine many of you out there have witnessed similar things with cameras. I mean, that's just kind of one of those things that cameras will do when there is a little bit of confusing lighting uh, but somebody responded back with, yeah, but it's clear that everybody else is seeing this same phenomenon because everybody is ooing and aahing and gasping and, and screaming and, and stuff. And, and in the background, there was certainly a lot of people doing that. <laughs> but it's like, guys, uh, they, they are seeing something. They're seeing something very amazing. It's called an eclipse. It just happened. Okay. It, it, you know, it's that kind of stuff, guys. It's that kind of stuff that one person gets their hands on a video, whether knowingly or unknowingly, decides to put it on the internet with the intent, the intent of creating a conspiratorial stir. And then everybody starts freaking out. Logic goes clean out the window and everybody wants to proclaim their desired uh, conclusion from something that you really can't conclude much of anything from. Okay, another example, uh, same group, face or, or uh, Facebook group, uh, Flat Earthers for Christ. They had uh, a video about how uh, Mike Pence was saying that uh, Trump wants to revitalize our space program and uh, hopefully even have somebody make it to Mars, a human being on Mars, before the end of his term. That's pretty ambitious. Um, I wish him the best in that. Um, but 
of course, then the Flat Earthers, they modify the video and they put it up on their page. And suddenly there's a conspiracy here. It's like, oh my gosh, see, out of nowhere, just, I mean, just out of the blue, suddenly Trump wants to go and send a guy to Mars. You know why? You know why? Because, because he knows the earth is flat and he's got to help cover up the story. And all of us flat earthers are making such a stir that they need to up their game and make their story a little bit more believable. <sighs> See, guys, you, I mean, come on. There could be a million bazillion different reasons why Trump and his administration want to get up there to Mars. A million reasons. I mean, they could be uh, greedy reasons, you know, for some type of financial gain. Okay. It could be for some type of resource that we believe Mars has. It could be simply for no other reason than to beat (laughs) Russia or some other country to Mars, to be the first ones to put our flag down and put some footprints up there. Okay. There's so many different reasons. Guys, I mean, space is out there. And from a secular standpoint, okay, why wouldn't we, as a human race, try to um, race out to outer space to find out what's out there, to learn more? Uh, Guys, there's got to be tons of resources out there that could be tapped and utilized, okay? There is a bazillion reasons why the Trump administration would want to do that. And to just conclude, a conspiracy is utter nonsense. It's embarrassing. So anyway, there, there's my little rant on conspiracies. Don't look at fishy data and immediately assume that uh, whatever your pet conspiracy is, that it's true. It just, it makes you look silly. If you're a Christian, it makes us look silly. Guys, don't do that. Okay. There's, there's so many of them out there. And I, I used to have a very robust tinfoil hat. I, I really got into different various conspiracies. And I still, I know for a fact, there is a lot of legitimate conspiracies out there. But then there's so much of this, this movement that is seeking for truth. Um, and they... they I mean, they they kick a rock and under it is a conspiracy. Everywhere they go, there is just a conspiracy. Open a door, whoa, there's a conspiracy right there. I mean, everywhere, everything is a conspiracy. It's, it's, it's all about they, them. Rob Skiba the other day made a post about how there is no satellites in space and that they're all balloons. No, no, no. No, no, and no. Okay, I personally know somebody and have interviewed him on this podcast, Jason Pratt, who has himself sent satellites to space, numerous satellites. This guy is a devoted Christian. He did not give me a secret handshake. (laughs) I tried to. I tried to give him the strong... Uh, paw of the lion, and then I tried to give him the sure sign of the nail. But, you know, he just wouldn't return any of my secret handshakes. But <laughs> see, my my old school tinfoil hat is showing. I actually know the name of some of those handshakes, um, or maybe I'm involved. 
No, just kidding. Uh, guys, I know Jason. I know him personally. He's a very serious Christian. He's not a liar. He's not part of some grand conspiracy. He's not part of the Illuminati. It's, it's just silly. It's embarrassing. <sighs> so anyway, all right, there's my rant. I apologize. I think I had a rant at the beginning of the last one. <laughs> Dr. Carter, when you listen to this, I apologize to you too for my long rants. Anyway, let's get to this interview with Dr. Robert Carter, an amazing, uh, just a brilliant man. I really want to have him back to uh, speak about the subjects that uh, he's very passionate about, and that would be in the realm of uh, creation, evolution, uh, genetics, these types of things. And, and that would be, that'll be a blast. So, anyway. With that, let's get back to this interview with Dr. Robert Carter. What are noctilucent clouds? In your article, you brought up noctilucent clouds. Uh, and uh, yeah. I think that it was kind of neat to see how they can uh, tell us about the shape of the Earth. Okay, that's a fancy word for clouds that are lit, lit up at night. There you go. When the sun goes below the horizon from our perspective... Um, the sun is, you know, beneath the edge of the earth, but clouds are high enough. The sun is literally shining to their bottom side. The sun is lighting things up that are way high in altitude because if you got in a plane or a hot air balloon and got up to that altitude, you could see the sun. But from our perspective, you can't see the sun. Um, another example, if you're standing on a beach, if you like life flat on the sand, you can watch the sunset. And if you stand up, you can watch the sunset again. Yeah, yeah. Or if you get an elevator in a building and ride to the top, you can watch the sunset again. It's not because the earth is flat. It's because you are getting – your horizon is getting further away as the higher you get. Hmm. And you're, it's the same example that you said when the sun is rising, you see the, the mountains behind you, to uh -huh. the west of you, lighting up as the sun is coming up in the east. Because things that are high up can see the sun first compared to things that are low down because the earth is curved. If the earth is flat, none of that would be true. Right. And I mean, that's that's why uh, ships had those high masts where people could go up in the crow, crow's nest. Yeah, that's why the crow's that's why the crow's nest is way up in the air, not on the deck. <laughs> <laughs> and that's Good the point. whole point. That's like that, that. There's no other reason to have somebody way up high. What would be the point? <clears throat> other than it would be kind of a fun ride up there. Uh, well, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd get a kick out of it. Um, so, okay. Well, here's one that's a little bit more involved. I'm going to read this question uh, right out of my notes because it's, it's, it, it, it's kind of interesting. But uh, uh, the further from the northern celestial pole you go, the further the stars must visually travel each day to get back to where they started. Um, stars close to the North Star trace out little circles, right? Uh, stars... And the North Star doesn't move at all. It just sits there has a circle of zero. There you go, yeah. And then star stars further away then would trace out larger circles. In a flat Earth mo model, the further out from the center of the Earth, the North Pole, shouldn't the stars be traveling much larger circuits or circles around the North Pole? And then not only that then, these stars would be traveling much faster because they would have a larger circular path to follow to reach their starting point. 
Now, is that in, what we observe? Hours, yeah. yeah. It is not what we observe. Uh, most everyone has seen a, a time-lapse photograph of the North Pole and the northern stars that are circling at night, either an arc or even a full circle. And so even the flat earthers agree that the stars rotate in the north about the North Star. And you can see the circles. You know, the North Star doesn't move, and the stars close to it make little circles around the North Star. And a little further away, they make bigger circles around the North Star, and they get, the circles get bigger and bigger and bigger. If the Earth was flat, they get bigger and bigger and bigger all the way until, you know, going over the Antarctica. The problem is it's not what we see. If you're, you know, up north, near the North Pole, or, you know, just north of the, of the equator, you can take a time-lapse image of the northern light, the northern sky, and see these circles. But if you turn around and take a time-lapse image of the southern sky, you see the same thing in reverse. The circles get smaller and smaller and smaller until they hit the, until they hit the horizon. You can't see stars beyond that. But like for, for, I live in Atlanta. We're approximately 30 degrees north of the equator, which means we can see stars about 30 degrees south of the equator. I might have got my math wrong there. It might be 60 degrees south of the equator. Point is, if you're on the equator, you can see all the way north and all the way south. And if you're at the North Pole, you can only see stars that are above the, the equator. If you're, since we, we in Atlanta here and, and you in Colorado, you're, you're not at the equator, you're not at the North Pole, you're somewhere in between, which means when you look south, you can see stars that are south of the equator. And they travel in smaller circles than the stars that are right above the equator. If you go to the equator and you look south, you see these stars that get smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller circles until you get to something very close to the Southern Cross. That only works if the Earth is a spinning ball and is surrounded by stars on all sides. It does That's not correct. Work in, it does not work in a flat Earth model, which is why they didn't answer your question. <laughs> and if you were to be hanging out on the crust of the pizza, you know, your Antarctic or, you know, anywhere south, okay, on the outer area of the pizza, you would expect in a flat earth model, those stars would be cruising across the sky because they're tracing larger circles. They have a larger circuit to get back to the starting point. Right. You would expect them to just, you know, I mean, <laughs> they'd be cruising across the sky. You could actually sit there and visually watch them move really across fast. the sky That's really right. fast. It's going to be crazy fast. Here's another cool question I just thought of. I never thought of before. If you're on the, you know, the edge of Antarctica and you look south, what do you see in the sky? There should not be any stars there at all. Ah. You should be okay. on the, you know, if you're on the, near the edge of this celestial sphere thing, what is south of you? There is no <laughs> south. There's nothing but empty space out there. Well, that's not true because when you're in Antarctica and you look south, you're actually looking north. You look south to the, the Southern Cross, and then you keep going down toward the horizon. You're actually looking at stars that are further north than where you are because hmm. you're looking over the bottom edge of the spherical Earth. That's cool. Now, I did I, – that is cool. I, I have seen one flat Earth model that might address that. Again, here we go with another ad hoc explanation, but uh, – they they pictured this flat Earth. Um, <laughs> forget a pizza. Think of Swiss cheese, and we are just one of the holes in the Swiss cheese. And the cheese part of the cheese is that ice of Antarctica. And if you go out far enough, you might even hit another 
flat earth out there. <laughs> yeah. That's brilliant. So, that's, it is, why it not? Is. Oh, that's brilliant. I love that. Oh, that is really cool. You know, back in the, and, in, in the old days, they talked about the Antipodeans. That's the people who lived on the other side of the earth from Europe. Uh-huh. Um, because you couldn't get there because the, the torrid regions, that's, uh, you know, the area around the, uh, the equator, was so hot that no one could possibly live there. And so they imagined these, um, these people, these, you know, the others, these other people in this other world that was cut off from the northern world, and, and you know, what would they be like? Well, that's very much like this uh, flatter Swiss cheese model. If, you know, if it is flat, yeah, it could be infinite. Or it could be much bigger than what we see. Yeah. Cool. People, people from other planets, you know, or other flat worlds could but be why, living out there. Why can't we fly there in an airplane or ski there on a, on, on a, a snowmobile or? Hmm. Well, the, 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 because that is not accepted by the Illuminati. And now I'm starting to get abrasive. I apologize. Uh, yeah. uh, <laughs> Okay, they no, will not okay, allow that park, to happen. Park on that for a second. Without even talking about the Illuminati, we can encourage people that there's a logical, rational, intelligent solution to what they see. It is not anti-biblical. It is not anti-science. It is not anti-intellectual. And that is the earth is a globe. But also, when you read the scripture, what you know if you try to describe the character and nature of god he's unchanging he's complicated he's a lawgiver he doesn't change his mind on a whim and and you would never expect god to do something that goes against his own nature that would not be god well if god's the creator he would have created the universe that operates according to law rationality <laughs> observational truth. I mean, God is going to create a universe that goes along with the nature of God. Therefore, the universe does make sense because God makes sense. The universe is immense because God is immense. The universe operates like a clock because God is actually the orchestrator, and he's the ultimate clock. He's the definer of truth. He, he, he you know, it, I, we go on and on here. These kind of thoughts right there, that is the foundation of a modern scientific uh, explosion that happened at the end of the Middle Ages. Mm -hmm. The reason people discover scientific law is because they were approaching the universe as a lawful system designed by the ultimate lawgiver. The idea that Earth is a globe actually comes out of really easy Christian philosophy, which is why right. no Christian philosopher that we're aware of, you know, except one or two really odd people living in some you know, backwater place a long time ago might have hinted or suggested that they didn't think it was, it was, it was round or spherical. Hmm. But there's um, been essentially no debate about this throughout the entire Christian era. There was a debate of whether or not the earth went around the sun or the sun went around the earth. That was a big debate, and it was not easy to answer, and it took people centuries to finally figure out enough of the science to say, okay, look, um, the geocentrism thing does not actually work. And one of the, actually it was the, the, probably the, the, the final nail in the coffin was in the early 1800s when someone finally measured parallax to a star. It was like 0. .0009 degrees that the star <laughs> moved uh, from summer to winter. 
and it was and it's only ten light years away. Uh, I forget the name of the star, um, but it was it was an amazing technological uh, triumph that that star did wiggle, and if since it wiggled, we know the diameter of Earth's orbit. Um, therefore, that star is X number of uh, light years away, and it was amazing. That showed us there the size of the heavens and that the Earth actually does move because the star wiggled. And now we have thousands of stars that wiggle, but it, it takes such incredibly precise instrumentation to measure it, uh, you can't see it with your eyeball. That's good science, though. That was great science. Amazing science. I... I I travel to, to strange places in the world, and I love going to scientifically important places. So I've been to the equator. I've been to the Wallace Line in, um, in Indonesia, um, wow. which is the break between Eurasia and Austronesia. And the animals wow. are totally different when you're standing on Bali. But you look over there at Lombok, which is right – the next island. You can see it is right there. And you know that there's tree kangaroos over there, and there's no tree kangaroos over here. That's a really cool place in ecology. Um, wow. I, I've seen the Southern Cross. I've, I've been to the, um, uh, the British uh, Maritime Museum in London. I've been to the, uh, the Royal Naval Observatory. I've seen the Greenwich, you know, the definition of Greenwich uh, Mean Time, the, 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 uh, the lines they drew down through London. Um, I, I, I'm fascinated by the history of the subject, the, the, the science of the subject, the people who pioneered these ideas, how much work they had to do. Uh, one thing I haven't done, which is, is definitely on my bucket list, I want to go to the, one of the great cathedrals in Europe and see the meridian on the floor. Oh. Because a, a lot of these cathedrals back in the Middle Ages, they poked a hole in a, some ceiling or wall somewhere high up, and they projected an image of the sun on the floor. And then they put a brass band in the floor, and they marked off the seasons. The, the cathedrals turned into giant observatories. And they measured solar phenomena for centuries, and the church sponsored all of this work. It's incredibly important in the history of, of science that this, this work that was done. And yet, either people who think the Earth is flat don't know about this, or they reject it, or they refuse to acknowledge when we talk about it. But this is not something done in a box. It's flat earth theory. That was done on the box. This is brand. This is a new kid on the street. It did not exist three years ago. No <laughs> joke. It did not exist before certain people started getting popular um, YouTube videos up. And literally, it was a, a year and a half ago, uh, several CMI speakers from, from different places in the world all at the same time said, you know what? I ran into a flat earth. I couldn't believe it. And all the alarm bells went off. I said, wait a second. How did all these different people across the world run into flat earthers all of a sudden, and no one in our ministry had done it in over the past 30 years? And the answer is the Internet. Yep. Making people I, I branded. Even, I even saw a truck drive by the other day that uh, had a sticker on the back that said, I believe in a flat earth. Oh. <sighs> I spoke yeah, at a school. I, I spoke at a school, a Christian school in Atlanta, uh, not too long ago. And the science teacher warned me. He says, uh, "I'm warning you now before you get up there and speak to, speak to the student body. A significant number of the eighth grade boys think the Earth is flat because of the influence of one of the popular fathers." Oh no! <laughs> this is bad. Man. And, and people are like, "Why are you bothering with these people?" 
well, there's a very good reason why I'm bothering with these people, because I don't want to see them fall into this error. But it's not the people that are in it that I'm worried about. It's the people that are not in it that might fall into it and leave reason behind. We mm-hmm. are, you know, Christianity is a faith-based religion. I understand that. My spiritual religious experiences with the God of this universe are, you know, not ever going to, no one's ever going to change my mind because I've had a, a, an interaction with God himself, and that's what makes me a Christian. But that's only step one. Step two is now figure it out. That's the intellectual mm-hmm. part. You, you have to have both to be a, a, a fulfilled Christian. You've got to have a reason. I mean, First Peter 3.15, be ready always to give an answer to any man that asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. You do it with gentleness and respect. So Amen. we're not called to be sarcastic. We're not called to be arrogant. We're not called to be jerks. In fact, you know, sarcastic facts shouted in anger usually don't point people toward the cross. <laughs> but a, a gentle, reasonable answer makes people say, oh, wow, I never quite thought of that before. And that's the, the way we're supposed to be trying to work with people. And so I, the, the reason, I mean, I, I, that document I put on, our, our first flat earth, um, first anti-flat earth uh, article we put on creation.com, that was 32 pages in Word, single-spaced. And we've probably doubled the size of it since then by adding new ideas and thoughts to it. The geocentrism articles we have are very long. I've got another article where I, I, went, I took my, my kids down to a local library with a piece of string and a ruler. And we started to say, okay, I needed a place where there was an airport that flew internationally to all the other continents. We picked Johannesburg, Africa. And I had my kid, you know, I held my thumb on Johannesburg, and we stretched the string out to Atlanta, to New York City, to Paris, to Melbourne, Australia, to you know, um, Abu Dhabi, to all these different places in the world. And then we measured the distance on the string. And I printed out a flat earth map, the biggest printing I could get. And we measured the distance from Johannesburg with a, with a centimeter ruler from Johannesburg to all those same cities. Simple enough. Yeah. And then we got on the internet and we looked up the flight times from Johannesburg to all of those cities. And all you have to do is divide the string length by the flight time or the, the flat earth length by the flight time. And if you, if you get the same answer every time, then you know that that is the real answer. And it turns out that the answer you get when you use the string makes planes flying at a couple hundred miles an hour, and you can answer from Johannesburg all the flight time data. But in the flat earth model, you can't, because you can't fly at a... Uh, airplane at supersonic speeds, you know, several times the speed of sound in order to get from Johannesburg to Melbourne, Australia, if you have to fly north and over the Himalaya Mountains. Correct. Because the flight right. time, you know, you know how many hours it is. Okay, this is how many hours it is. In a flat earth, right. it's too many thousands of miles. You can't fly that fast. Airplanes right. don't right. do that. This is not science. We know how fast airplanes fly, and they fly... Low, slower than the speed of sound, period. I saw that on your website, and and absolutely, I had to laugh. You know, there are there's so many routes that flights take where you know they're they're going around the curve of the Earth. Um, they're on a globe. They're on a ball, 
And if you try to flatten the earth out, you take certain points of this, this uh, world and you spread them out pretty darn far. And then, yeah. yeah, if you try to fly from one far point of this flat earth to another far point of the flat earth, there is no short route. You can't just cruise wow. around the curve of the earth. Now you got to go all the way across the disk. And it's impossible for flights to pull that off in the time that they do. With Unless, the amount of fuel, et cetera. And you think this is, a, you know, a cut, the airline industry is a cutthroat industry. Oh, yeah. If you yeah. can shave oh, yeah. off a few hours or a few minutes of flight time, man, you're going to beat the pants off everybody else. Um, why would they post fake flight data? I had one person tell me, um, oh, I tried to book that flight from Johannesburg to, uh, to Perth. I said, no, you didn't. You didn't. You did not try to book that flight because, you know, booking a flight means you had money and you were ready to pay for it, and that means that you what you were in all, you were in South Africa, or you were planning on going to South Africa. No, no. At best, you tried to look up the flight. But here's here's what happened. Um, okay, I'm gonna be blunt here. There's a cult out there. It's called the cult of the flat Earth. It is following all the classic things that cults follow. And the people that are reading and sucking up some of this material, they catch themselves out sometimes by re reciting something that they read, which they never actually did, thought, or saw for themselves. And that was I, I really think that this person said that because he read it, someone else had tried to do it, and he just said it that way. Well, no, 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 this is not true. You didn't actually do that. Now, he'd never talk to me again. It was over email exchange. Done. Never got a response um, because he actually didn't do it. Here, here's an even funnier thing. Creation Ministries International. We have about 30 speakers located in seven different international offices, including South Africa and Australia. And at least five of our speakers have made the flight from Australia to our South African office. And all of them will say, yeah, here's how long it took. And yeah, we flew close to Antarctica. This is the flight that the flat earthers say doesn't exist. So what, what, what do you mean it doesn't exist? I've got excellent Christians who testifying that this does exist. And plus, um, you can book the flight if you want to put money down. You can actually book the flight. It really does exist. <laughs> and yet they can't believe it exists, so they say it doesn't exist, and yet they're not willing to go and actually verify it which makes this a cult. I hate to say it that way because I hate to think that my Christian brothers and sisters might be caught up. Now, granted, it's not a Christian phenomenon. This cuts across faith lines here. There's plenty of people who are atheists who are getting caught up in this also. Yeah. Um, but I hate to see my brothers and my sisters, even I don't even want to see atheists caught up in this either. I don't like people being in error, um, but especially people who are faithful people. We've got to put on our thinking caps. We, gotta tr we have to check the source of the information, and it's bad source. We have to actually check the information for ourselves, and we have to look at what have Christians always taught. And Christian, uh, the, the, the Venerable Bede, you know, the, uh, the Venerable Bede uh, Church uh, was not too far away from where I grew up. I was wondering who, who the Venerable Bede was. But the Venerable Bede, or Bede, B-E-D-E, was an Anglo-Saxon scholar, lived, I, I'm going to guess, six, seven, or 800 A.D. I don't remember exactly. I forget. Um, but he was a, a world-renowned, at least European-renowned scholar that everyone, at least in England, and most people in Europe, would have read 
for at least, uh, until the 1800s, every theologian would have read Bede. That's a really hmm. important guy. It was over a thousand years of this guy's influence, and he wrote in, in wow. one of his, his things, the earth is round, not like a shield, like a ball. Hmm. That's coming from the supposed Dark Ages, which, by the way, is a horrible phrase invented by the anti-Christians. It is, dark Ages never existed, so forget that. But, you know, the supposed Dark Ages, here's a guy that everyone would have read for over a thousand years saying the earth is actually a globe. No one, but he was part. <laughs> no one ever taught that the Earth is flat. The whole Columbus thing—that's just a myth. It's an urban myth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. I was gonna say uh, he thought it was a ball because he was one of the founding members of the Illuminati. But uh, <laughs> not. <laughs> there, there I go again. I'm sorry. Anglo-Saxon monk. Half starving and shivering all winter long. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, in your article, you also brought up uh, tropical storms, cyclones, hurricanes. Uh, the winds they blow counterclockwise in the northern hemisphere and clockwise in the southern. Uh, and this is because of the Coriolis effect on on a sphere. Yeah. Can the flat Earth model explain that in any way? I've never seen anyone try to grapple with it. Um, I imagine if someone did, it would be some magic thing that they just kind of invent. But you don't even have to prove it on Earth. Just look at Jupiter. Yeah. Look at Saturn. There, There's constantly storms billowing on the surfaces of these planets, and guess what? They rotate in the same directions as the storms on Earth rotate, counterclockwise above their horizon, uh, above their equator, uh, clockwise below their equator because of the giant massive Coriolis forces on those gigantic planets. You know, if, if, if these planets that we can see with telescopes um, have storms on them, that kind of flies in the face of the idea of these planets just kind of being little, uh, almost like jewels encrusted or, or firmly set into this, firmament this dome that covers a flat earth i mean it really does fly in the face of that in fact you can watch these planets spin yes you can and you can watch the the moons of the planets orbit (laughs) you can watch if you're looking at the moon with a telescope or binoculars you can watch a shadow creep across the face of the moon I've, I've had the first time, time I set up a telescope with my son. We're looking at the moon. It's really cool. I noticed that there was a an, a, um, a crater on the on the right side of the moon, where it was dark, except the central cone, that little mountain from the you know the uplift after the the, the meteor impact, was lit up bright. It was like a little spotlight inside of a dark ring, and over the next <laughs> five minutes, the entire floor of the crater was lit up, and I couldn't see the that central mountain anymore. And we could, you could just see, you could see the shadow moving. I mean, it was totally cool. Of course it does, because the moon goes around the Earth in a circle, around a globe. Yeah. And you can tell that the, Earth, that the moon is round. I'm sorry, I keep saying round. You, you can tell that the moon is a globe based on multiple different uh, easy, simple observational evidences, besides the fact that we've flown people around it. Okay. But that's NASA, that's <laughs> conspiracy. <so. laughs> 
Yeah, and, and I think it, it, it kind of naturally follows uh, that if the moon, the stars, the planets are all spherical and they're spinning, uh, and you even have moons that are uh, orbiting other planets that we can observe, that amateurs can observe with the right telescope, um, it, it, it kind of follows that, well, gosh, I, you'd think that the Earth would be spherical as well, you know? But, um, hmm. Yeah. So in your in your article, one of the more fascinating things that you brought up, this blew my mind, I really like this, uh, earthquakes, that earthquakes can be used to tell the shape of the Earth. Yep. Uh, tell me about that. Well, we now have uh, seismic measuring stations all over the world. And when an earthquake occurs, we can measure the S waves and the P waves at different places. We can predict when they arrive. Um, but you can also do something called seismic tomography. They can actually image what's inside the earth. And in fact, one of the coolest confirmations of, of uh, biblical creationism, um, there's a, a man named John Baumgartner who's come up with yeah. a, a fascinating model called a catastrophic plate tectonics. Mm-hmm. And, well, if that's true, if, you know, during the flood, the, 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 the um, continents moved really fast, not the rate your fingernails grow, but much faster than that during the flood, then there should be a bunch of, like, oceanic plates that have been subducted. But if that was only 4,500 years ago, they haven't had time to melt. And using seismic tomography, um, now these are secular scientists here, they absolutely have discovered evidence of massive slabs all the way down to the base of the mantle that are not melted. Now, in an evolutionary model, they should have melted a very, very long time ago. But right. they're not. They, they, they call them cold. You know, they're, they're cold slabs. Cold meaning not as warm as the mantle itself. And we discovered that by imaging the inside of the Earth for all these seismic stations. And, uh, you know, when the, the, the pressure wave or the, the uh, S wave gets there, Say, okay, this is how long it took to get here, but over here, you know, a couple miles away, it only took this long, and through a line of sight sort of thing, there must be something here of this density that caused the wave to bend or refract in such a way to get this. And it's, and it's really, really amazing science. Um, yeah. In, in your article, okay, I'm going to try to pull this off. I only read it once, uh, you, this particular section, but you've got like the, the P waves are pressure waves. And then the S waves are surface waves, waves and yeah. <clears throat> the, the, they move at a, about closely the, the same speed, but you can measure when a surface wave travels from the epicenter of a quake to one of these stations, and then the station can then measure uh, when that surface wave gets there. And, and, or I'm sorry. The, well, you can just, just, just use surface waves. You can just use surface waves. And, and, and you can do the time of when it gets to one station to the next station to the next station. It only works on a global Earth model. It's the same. It's, it's, it's a very similar argument to the flight times argument. That if you want to fly from South Africa to South, the bottom of South America, you know, on a global Earth, it's a certain distance. On a flat Earth, it's a whole lot more. Well, in the earthquake measuring, on the, just the surface waves. It, it, you, can, you can get a proportion between one place and another and another and another and another. And if you add up all these things and make like, like if you just, like just take a piece of string and, and string like one inch equals one minute. And if you, if you 
put all of these things like on a table and and then you say okay here's here's how far apart these two stations are based on the on the earthquake times it's this many minutes i'm going to take this many inches and if you try to connect all of these places you're not going to be able to do it keeping them flat you're going to actually have to uh, make a ball to connect them using the times of the earthquakes Right. And string isn't a good idea. Right. And, so, uh, and, uh, that, you know, the kids' toy connects. Oh, yeah, well, yeah. my kids got a bunch of those. You have to have connects rods of different lengths, and the only way to actually connect all these stations with the times that we know, because we've been measuring for a long time, is actually shape it in the in, in the shape of a ball. That would be a fun project. I want to do that. Yeah, they would. And then, and, and and also, you talked about these pressure waves, and they travel through the earth. Yeah. And so if you can imagine, they kind of beeline to all these different stations. And so again, just by measuring their speed and how quickly they can make it to a station versus the surface wave that has to travel, uh, you know, the, the, the surface of the earth, um, again, you can show that it is taking the shorter route through the ball of the earth, through the surface or the, the, the center of the earth to these different stations where they measure it. So again, proving that the earth is spherical unless again all of these people working at these stations are also part of a grand conspiracy yeah and so there we have two different ways of measuring earthquake data completely different and they give us the same answer and then the airline data gives the same answer and the observational evidence looking at stars and the way they orbit gives the same answer and on and on and on it's a very simple concept. The Earth is a spinning globe. That concept there explains all of the observations that we have. That's right. That's what, that's that's what right. makes it a it's powerful scientific uh, model. <clears throat> You've got a scientific model that explains everything you can imagine with one simple thought. Boom, you know what? That's called science. You know what? It's probably correct. <laughs> and when you have to do all kinds of gymnastics to try and work your theory and as you're going, each one of your additional gymnastics disproves other parts of your theory. Uh, yeah, it it, uh, it tends to break down. So, um, so how can my listeners who you know, how can they go out and prove for themselves the shape of the Earth? Like, what types of tests can you uh, do with a low budget that anybody can then do and prove the shape of the Earth? What you do is you go outside on um, one of the equinoxes that happen in the spring or the fall. I'm sorry, the, the solstices that happen in the... Yeah, sorry, sorry, again. You go out, like, let's say, at the, um, um, the in June, when it's nice and warm outside, you go out at the equinox, when there's 12 hours of sun and 12 hours of dark. You put a stick in the ground, and you measure the angle of your stick, or the, of the angle of the shadow. And then all you do is you get online, you figure out how far you are away from the equator. Because at the equator, the sun is straight overhead, which makes a 90-degree angle. Perfectly straight overhead. Um, I said, that's solstices. We're <laughs> so talking a long time here. My, my, my brain, i gotta, I got to get my brain straight. Okay. Uh, 12 hours sun, 12 hours of dark happens in the spring. You, you go on, on the, the spring equinox. That's what it is. Okay, the spring equinox. Sorry, you people in listener land, uh, pardon me. I, I, I don't usually <laughs> stumble over these ideas, but sometimes I do. It's not that hard. Let's just do it straight. Uh, springtime, 12 hours of sunlight, 12 hours of darkness. 
the sun is directly over the equator. Put a stick in the ground at exactly solar noon, measure the angle of that shadow, and then get online and figure out how far you are north or south of the equator. Now you have a triangle. You have the base of the triangle, you have a 90-degree angle, and you have a smaller angle where you are. And using very simple trigonometry that you probably forgot, but that we all learned at one time, if you have <laughs> angle, side, angle, you can figure out the distance of the sun from the equator straight up, and you can even figure out the distance of the sun from you along the hypotenuse to the sun. Oh, wow. Yeah, of course you yeah. could. Yeah. That's what Eratosthenes did in 180, something like 150. I don't remember what year, I don't, you know, when he lived. I don't remember when he did this. It was several centuries B.C. He did exactly that, and he calculated the circumference of the Earth, and his, he was only a few percent wrong, which is un, just unimaginable, unbelievably amazing idea, and he did it. Yeah. Now, in, in in your article, oh man, and this just popped in my head. Now I forgot exactly how it worked. But you even brought up another way that you could do uh, a test using Skype and a couple friends in different parts of the world yeah. uh, that are clearly in different time zones. Do you remember what that example well, there's was? A, there's a thousand different things you can do. You get a whole bunch of people online at the same time, and you have them all take a picture at the same time. <clears throat> One, two, three, click of the moon or of position of stars. Um, or, or anything, and there's so many different ways you can, you know, if we all take a picture of the moon and as we're facing due south, you know, where is the moon in your view, person in Sacramento versus person in Peoria versus person in, in um, South Carolina? That's a cool idea right there. It, it really is, yeah. And, you know, if you do that all around the world, you know, well, you know some, some people can't see the moon because, you know what, it's daytime. And some of them can see the moon in the daytime if it's not, you know, toward no moon. But when you're in like half moon stage, you can very often see the moon in the daytime. I do it all the time. I'm always looking for the moon when the sun is up because it's there. You can see it off often. And if all mm -hmm. these people do it at the same time, look in the same direction, and then you could like do a, a photo montage. Oh, that would be so cool. I wish one would do that. Think of all the moons. I mean, it would move across the picture because they're all in a different place. And then just using a little bit of pretty simple mathematics, you can say, okay, if the Earth was flat and the moon is only you know, a couple hundred miles away, what would we predict to see? If the moon is a globe, what would we predict to see? And guess what? The answer is going to be the, moon, the Earth and the moon are both globes. No way around it. It's yeah, just the way it's going to work out. Yeah. And it's funny because I have no doubt about that because it's already been done. This is not a matter of debate. This is not a scholarly intellectual matter of debate. Evolution, that's a matter of debate. Big Bang, that's a matter of debate. Origin of life, you're going to make me laugh if you believe the spontaneous origin of life. I'm going to use science against you. That's a matter of debate. But um, no, not the shape of the earth. That's right. Hmm. Well, Dr. Carter, uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been a lot of fun. That's a whole lot of fun. Um, and by the way, your work in uh, the uh, the book and the movie, uh, the Achilles Heels of uh, Evolution, Achilles Heels. awesome. Thank you. That was that was my brain. Uh, yeah, sorry. I got that it. was my baby. That was three I, years of my life that went into that. 
I right now, right now, that is hands down my favorite book on evolution. Oh, like if if somebody asks me, you know, what what's the best one out there? Where's the first one to start with? I always point them at that one. I just I love that book. Cool. Thank uh, you. The video is great. So, you know, friends, check that out. And then also your work in uh, that recent film is Genesis History. Yeah, that was was a fun project. Now, that wasn't something that Creation Ministries put together. Um, I was just a guest on someone else's production, but they did a really good job on that. Oh, hey, you want to hear something cool? They did. Yeah. Um, That hit number one on Amazon Documentary Downloads. No kidding. A Christian, young earth, unapologetically young earth, uh, production was the best-selling documentary on Amazon after that movie came out. And the retailers have taken note. And what's even cooler wow. is that Evolution's Achilles' heels, even though it was three years old, uh, following along in the wake of his Genesis history, it broke into the top 50. I couldn't believe oh, that. Really? I, was so, I was tickled pink. I was like, my, my documentary got to Amazon top 50. woo <laughs> we can do excellent work pioneering work if you want to uh i'm going to give a plug for our upcoming movie uh, alien intrusion it is finished yeah with uh, uh gary bates yeah, gary bates's brainchild uh it's going to be in theaters uh in uh january of 2018 um we're going to have a lot of people crying it is a powerful uh presentation and it is unlike anything we've done before. This is going to be our our third uh, major movie, and we're getting better. Ah. If you like the Evolution of the Achilles so, Heel, this is even better. And so what is this? I mean, it's called Alien Intrusion. What's this going to be about? Well, um, it's based on Gary's uh, book, Alien Intrusion, which is also an Amazon Top 50 bestseller. When it came out, um, uh, it's the question of, are we alone in the universe? Are we being visited by extraterrestrials? Um, what's the biblical answer? And when you actually start digging into the alien question, you realize that all the movers and the shakers in the alien industry, they understand these things are not nice, they're not physical, and they hate God. Hmm. So what's the biblical answer yeah, what does that to sound this? Like? <laughs> it's pretty clear. <laughs> it's a little teaser. I'm going to leave it there and uh, let the... Let the uh, your listeners go find it on creation.com or go watch it in the theaters when it comes out. Right on. Well, I'm in, I'm, I'm in and I will probably end up going with a group of people uh, to see it when it's in the theater. Oh, I definitely am. Um, not only because I want to see it in the theater, but also because I want my my dollars to vote. You know Absolutely. what I mean? Uh, you know, I'm a business owner and I get that and, and I want the market to see, hey, we want more of this. That's right. Oh, we want solid biblical films that we can watch, not the not the cheesy watered down stuff and the, you know, the, there's so much of that out there. We want the solid biblical, good, well done movies. Is Genesis history uh, was scheduled only for one night on a Thursday night. They had two two showings <laughs> later on also because it did so well. It was the number one movie in the United States on that one night of its premiere. And again, that's awesome. The movie industry said, "What?" <laughs> yeah, so they're paying attention. Christians can do good work, and we can think critically and carefully, and we can have an excellent defense of our faith without having to get into pseudoscience 
and conspiracy theory. Amen. Right on. Well, on that note, Dr. Carter, thank you for coming on the show. It, it really has been a blast. You're welcome. And anytime you want me back, talk about genetics if you like. I'll absolutely come back. It was a lot of fun. I hope your listeners are I'll blessed. take you up on that. We talked about all right, friends, that is it. We're going to end right there. Now, this would be two weeks in a row that I actually released a podcast back to back. I'm very happy about it. I told you uh, during the uh, introduction or uh, exit of the last podcast, I can't remember, remember but um, that I'm going to be uh, changing things and making a whole new fresh effort to uh, put a lot more emphasis on ministry and a lot less emphasis on work. Uh, that process has already begun. I am now, uh, rather than working a 40-hour work week with the business, uh, the one business that I'm running, I'm now cutting back to 32 hours. So now I'm only working four days, and I have every Wednesday off, and Wednesday is now my new holy day. It is the day, <laughs> I love it, this is actually a Wednesday that I'm recording this, a day where I can put all of just the, the entire day, start to finish, from the moment I open my eyes, it is all ministry, all ministry. And uh, <clears throat> I still intend on using many of my evenings and many of my lunch breaks and you know how I always have lived life. Every spare second seems to be used in one way or another. And uh, a lot of those spare seconds when I'm not working, I am doing some type of ministry-related thing, whether I'm pre preparing a Sunday sermon preparing a youth group sermon, preparing a podcast, you know, these types of things. I'm, I'm always involved with something. But now I get an entire day, Wednesday, the Holy Wednesday, <laughs> to uh, pour into nothing but ministry. I, I love it. I'm so excited. Guys, this is just the beginning. This is a movement. <laughs> Don't tell my business partners. <laughs> this is a direction that I am going and I, I need to continue to go in this direction. Um, nothing else really matters, okay? Uh, my wife are, and I are certainly um, making a massive dent in the ridiculous debt that we both married into. Um, and so that, that situation is certainly being brought under control. You know, all my young listeners, don't get yourself in debt because debt will own you. It will control your life. The things you really want to do, your passions, they will be owned by something that you just had to have now. And you'll rack up debt and it'll own you. But now my debt's getting paid down and I mean drastically and it's wonderful. It is so liberating to get that off my back and the world of ministry is opening up in new ways. I recorded, uh, I preached a sermon last Sunday on Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. I'm starting to, to uh, go verse by verse through the book of Romans uh, for Sunday sermons at our church. I, I, I mentioned that we are without a pastor, and so I'm going to be in a, in a uh, rotation with a couple other of the elders um, to uh, cover the teachings until a new pastor shows up. Uh, if and when that new pastor shows up... Um, I'm going to finish the book of Romans on this podcast because what I started, I got to finish. I love the book of Romans. I will be posting that sermon uh, pretty soon as a podcast because I think you guys are going to get a kick out of it. Uh, it's a lot of fun. You're going to learn a lot, I hope. And uh, so anyway, 
um, I think I'm rambling on. <laughs> the The point is, hopefully you're going to be hearing a lot more from me as the days progress. Get back to definitely one podcast a week and hopefully maybe even a 1.2 podcast a week or 1.5 podcasts a week. You know what I mean? Where I'm not just releasing one, but maybe some weeks I'm able to even crank out two. Wouldn't that be cool? So guys, thanks for sticking with me. <laughs> it, it really has been a fun ride and I hope this ride is far from over, but rather just getting started. So anyway, that concludes this series on the flat earth. I probably will not come back to the subject for a while, a long while. I think I'm going to let it go to rest for a while. I'm, I'm kind of feeling like a beat a dead horse. I mean, we know the earth is a globe. It, it just simply is. And there's ways that you personally, as any old layman can, there's ways you can test it, check it, and know that it is a sphere and that this flat earth stuff really is nonsense. I love you flat earthers. I really do. Um, I'm confused about things, I'm sure too. So, <laughs> but look into it, look into it yourself. You, you know, stay off of YouTube. The nonsense that is on YouTube is just, there's so much ridiculous stuff being posted on YouTube as proof of a flat earth. And it's just silly. It's just silly. So anyway, I'm back to ranting and rambling on. With that, next week, the podcast that you're going to be hearing next is Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. It really turned out well. I, I think you guys are going to learn a lot about the scriptures, uh, and uh, it, it'll be a, a really fun ride for you. So that'll be the next one. And then after that, well, you'll just have to see. I love you guys, and we'll see you next week. Sing it out loud, declaration.